And so if you want to grab your Bible real quick and open up to Matthew uh, 2, we'll just quickly read this text again. Because it's a, um, I think that this text is full of surprises, and it's a surprising story of three lookers. Surprising story of three lookers. So hear the word of the Lord with me from Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is he who is to be born King of the Jews? We saw, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Right. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Let's pray for a second. Lord, help us to see the great surprise of this story. And help us to learn something that will help us in life, that will help each one of us this year and help our community of faith this year. In Jesus' name, amen. I think there are three, three huge surprises that jump out to us automatically from the text. And, um, and maybe you, you see them or maybe you don't. Um, there's, a, there's a lot going on here. But there's at least three real, real shocks. Uh, the first about these lookers in particular, three shocking things about them. The first is that these lookers or magi were from the east. From the east. Now, why from the east? Well, that's just interesting. Because at this time in, in, in the history of the Jewish people in Judea, um, every, all the action is basically happening for them. It's basically happening in the west. See, these aren't wise men coming from Rome. I mean, Rome would be where all of the rich and powerful people of the world would be. I mean, wouldn't it? I mean, if you're looking for rich and powerful people, you're going to find them uh, in the Roman Empire. Especially now, Herod the Great, and you may or may not know this, he's not exactly Jewish, even though he's king of the Jews. Um, and not only is he not exactly Jewish, but he is uh, kind of a puppet king for uh, the Roman Empire. After Julius Caesar uh, died, Herod, Herod put his money down on Mark Anthony. You guys may know about Mark Anthony and Cleopatra and all that jazz, right? Well, Herod betted on Mark Anthony. That didn't work out. So then he makes this, he makes this long trip to, uh, to Rome 
where he pleads his case in front of the new emperor, Augustus. And the emperor, Augustus, is just impressed with him that he would come and travel and have the guts to show up and say, hey, I was wrong, can I still be king? Um, that Herod went ahead, and, or uh, Augustus went ahead and appointed him a king of the Jews again. It's interesting because those of you guys who know the scriptures and know the teachings of Jesus, Jesus talks of, does a parable where there's a king who goes on a long journey to receive a kingdom. It's interesting how that would have played in the minds of his hearers because they would have known that story in their recent past of how that worked out. So that's, that's Herod. Um, he's, he's connected with Rome. He's connected with Caesar. And that's, that's causing problems in Jerusalem, in Judea, by the way. There's a lot of people that don't like that. They don't like him. Um, and so this is a kingdom really divided in, in a lot of ways. But it's fascinating that these Magi's are not coming from the West. Why are they not coming from Rome, where the rich and powerful are? Well, if not Rome, then maybe Athens, right? Maybe Greece. Because Greece would be the intellectual center. Right? Greece is where all the wise people are. Greece is where all the philosophers, where all the educated people, all the people with the PhDs, the smart people, the scientists, right? At least in this world, coming out of Greece. Now, did Greece come up with all that stuff? No. One of my ancestors, uh, uh, Alexander the Great, and his Macedonian people conquered the known world and stole wisdom from everybody. Um, uh, but why not Greece? Why didn't their intelligence lead them there? Why were the Magi's coming from the east? Why were the Magi's not from Judea? That's also surprising. I mean, why did the Magi show up in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was just kind of going about like, hey, it's business is normal in Jerusalem. And there didn't seem to be any wise people from Jerusalem that were wondering, hey, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? These magi show up. I mean, Jerusalem would be the center of true religion in the eyes of the Jews, would it not? I mean, they have the true religion. They have the temple. They have the scriptures. They have the priests. They have the scribes. They have the rabbis. They got it all. And yet these wise men are coming from the east. Apparently on a long journey. That's fascinating. Maybe from, maybe from Babylon. Maybe from somewhere, somewhere over there. Doesn't exactly tell us. You know, tradition, Christian tradition, will tell us uh, the names of these guys and whether that's right or not. Who knows? But they say one of them is named Baltazar. I don't like to think about that because I knew this essay in junior high school named Baltazar, and he was only on a journey to beat up white boys like me. So, um, but it's just fascinating where these guys were coming from. Sorry for the little rabbit trail, but Baltazar. I just see him in my head in his khakis. And <laughs> the second thing that's surprising is that these guys, even though we sang the song, the We Three Kings, uh, the word here is magi. That's a fascinating word, magi. Doesn't it kind of sound like our word magic or magician? And it could be one of the words that would lead up to that kind of understanding. It's interesting that a magi is not particularly Jewish. He's not a Jewish priest. He's not a Jewish rabbi. He's an Eastern pra practitioner of maybe something that's like the Zoroastrian religion. Maybe an astrologer. 
but he's certainly not the kind of person you would ever expect to hear from the true God if you were an Orthodox Jew. You would never expect these guys to be hearing from God. Clearly, they're magi. I mean, I know that you guys, you, you have these guys sitting in your nativity set, right? There they are, we three kings. And there's a little star on top of the little manger scene, right? I mean, keep putting it up, but it's just not very accurate. I mean, these were not the kind of guys you would expect to be showing up for this. I wouldn't have. And, and people in Jerusalem obviously didn't, because when they showed up, all of Jerusalem was troubled. And Herod is like really freaking out about this. This is troubling to people. Why are these guys here? Now, they were probably royal officials. They were probably people of some, some influence and, and uh, uh, some authority. Um, but they're also, you never expect these guys. And the other surprise that I'm seeing here is that they're following a star. I've heard all kinds of hypotheses about this star. The bottom line is we just don't know a lot about it. I mean, Matthew tells us about it, and it's just kind of weird. I've heard people say, well, it was an alien ship. That's why it moved the way that it did and came and rested. It's just amazing that nobody else saw it, right? I mean, we don't have all these UFO, ufologists showing up and asking the shepherds, now, did you see the grays? Did they have big heads and big eyes? I mean, could you destroy their ship? You know, but people are like, oh, it was an ancient alien. I mean, maybe you watch History Channel and you see the ancient alien shows. Does it trip you out that one of the guys that always talks has hair that's like... I mean, that dude's a freak! Jesus, forgive me. Um, but seriously, um, I, don't think it was a, I don't think it was an ancient alien ship. Um, but I'm also pretty sure that the way that I, I envisioned it as, as a kid is probably not right either. Pro probably wasn't this bright star that shined with a beam that came down... Just like that. Probably wasn't exactly like that. In fact, the, the Magi from the East, you know, and this is speculation, but these guys generally, they looked up at the night sky and they charted this stuff. I mean, the, the night sky was incredibly important to them. This was a pre-scientific world, a world that's very different than the way every person in this room has been educated. I mean, they didn't know what those things were. But they knew that they were pretty constant, and they were significant. You know, when these signs show up, and, you know, this is when to plant your food. This is when to go and pick your food. You know, this is when it's going to get really dark and cold, and this is where it's going to be really hot and light. And they tracked their whole world. They didn't have wristwatches and things like that. They charted and, and, and organized their lives according to what would happen in the skies. Many of the people in the ancient world believed that those were gods up there for a lot of reasons, including the ancient Greeks, one of them being that, that what happens in the night sky seems to be constant and steady, unchanging, where everything down here is changing. And since everything up there seems to be staying the same, that is more perfect than this down here. And so they thought those were gods. It's interesting. And many of them practice what we would know today as astrology. They would, they would consult the skies, and whatever, if whatever was happening up there was going to cause an effect down here. You know, this is where guys 
people like these magi or guys can thank them for the line, hey, baby, what's your sign? Right? Some of you guys read your horoscope. Um, just, just for fun. Did you know that if you were an ancient Israelite living in the Old Testament, that, that we would all take you out and throw rocks at you until you died for reading your horoscope? I'm just going to put that out there for you. Just so you know that God's really not into that at all. Um, which is, which is another fascinating thing, see, because apparently there's some kind of sign that happens in the sky and these guys take it as hugely significant and make a long journey to find the one who is to be born king of the Jews. That's shocking. Why is it shocking? Because, because according to ancient Jewish law, which the people in Jerusalem would have been fairly familiar with, to do that kind of divination, they called it, brought the death penalty. So what would God be doing communicating with people through things that were clearly outlawed? I mean, what? This is a shock. A major shock that these guys would show up. I don't think this is, a, this is God endorsing ancient Eastern mysticism as a legitimate path to, to illumination or to truth. But I think that this shows us the lengths to which God will go to reach people and bring them to himself. It's fascinating. Today I hear stories about Muslims in Muslim countries. Did you know Jesus is in the Quran? Yes. I mean, it's not, it says some very different things about Jesus in the Quran. But, but Muslims do consider Jesus to, a prophet to be revered. And I'm hearing stories now coming out of those regions where there are Muslims that are having visions and dreams of Jesus. And, and Muslims tend to be more open to those kind of things than Western Christians are. And they're having these dreams, these revelations of Jesus, and they're becoming followers of Jesus through what's written in the Quran and dreams and visions. Isn't that crazy? Does that mean God is putting his stamp of approval on the Quran and all that? You know, probably not. It, maybe it just shows the links to which God will go. I mean, think about it. God uses American commercialized Christianity to reach all of us. I mean, God is reaching out so far. It's amazing that God would reach these magi in this distant land. But it also gives us a very uncomfortable warning, I think, too. I mean, who was it? Who was it that was missing what God was doing? Wasn't it the very people who should have known? I mean, it was Herod. It was Herod, the king of the Jews, the chief priests, the rabbis in Jerusalem, the religious elite of the true religion, who somehow, they had everything that they needed to have, and somehow, they didn't realize what God was doing. They say, wow, that's... Sorry, sucks for them. But wow, what a warning. I mean, how that looks to me, because really, has, have times changed that much? I mean, it's, it's alarming a little bit for me to think that today in this room, how privileged we are. We're gathered, and out of the millions of people in this city, we've gathered and we've heard from the word of God and we've worshiped the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords together. What a privileged position when most of the millions of people in this valley have not had or, or haven't taken advantage of that opportunity this morning. And yet, because of that very fact, 
what if we are in danger of walking out of here and being the, only, being the very people in this valley who miss what God is doing entirely? They did. I think there's a big idea here, um, and I just simplified it. Lookers find God in surprising places. Lookers find God in surprising places. Seeking, seeking people find God in surprising places. I watch History Channel. Many of you guys know that. One of the shows I'm into right now is called American Pickers. There's a guy named Mike and Frank. They travel the back roads of America looking for rusty gold. I mean, that's right out of the beginning. Um, I want to show you, uh, and I know I'm, I'm pushing my time, so I will land this bird quickly. But I want to show you this video because I think these guys are fascinating. And what they do is amazing. But also, I think they share something in common with these magis and something that we can learn from. Um, so this is a, a video where they're explaining what they do, which is called picking. Picking. And uh, I apologize to you. Um, the, uh, the woman that works with them, Danielle, she's going to use the word crap like two times. And if that offends you, I'm so sorry for that. It's just without my computer, I didn't have the time to take it out and use a really good biblical word like dung. So I'm sorry about that. Um, but she's going to go ahead and use that word. So, uh, Chris, when you're ready and Steve, you want to throw that up here, just watch what these guys do. It's crazy. And it actually plays on history, not on A&E, so whatever, A&E. When I meet somebody, it's hard for me to explain to them what I do because if I'm having a conversation with them and they say to me, hey, you know, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm a picker. And they're like, what is that? It's kind of like Indiana Jones meets Sanford and Son. It's like a day-to-day -day treasure hunt. I'm out there looking for rusty gold. I'm looking for the unusual and impossible. It's back roads. It's dumpster diving. It's flea markets, it's people's homes, it's barns, it's, um, we're actually picking through other people's discarded articles. Picking is sifting through a bunch of crap and finding diamonds in the rough. Mike and Frank basically sift through garages full of crap and through spider webs and through hornet's nests and cow poop and all kinds of stuff. And they find beautiful objects that people will enjoy and will buy. Picking is like being the foot soldier of the multi-million dollar antique and collector business. It's like I'm in the trenches every day, 24-7, looking for the unusual and impossible. I'm looking for like forgotten places and radical digs. Being a picker versus an antique dealer is we are the people that supply antique dealers. All them people, they all have pickers. They all have people that bring stuff to them. We're the people in the trenches. We're the people that are out searching, finding this stuff. We don't have people that just bring stuff to us, and that's what we differ from. We are the people bringing stuff to them. I'm an ordinary guy looking for extraordinary things. Any of you guys watch that show? You're a nerd like me? Anybody? Okay, a few nerds. The rest of you, check it out one night. It's pretty, pretty crazy what they find um, in people's barns and garages. I mean, talking big money items that they buy for dirt cheap and turn around and sell and make lots of money. Um, makes me want to go dig through all your stuff. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. There's also another show called uh, uh, Gold Rush, total tangent. But Gold Rush, these guys are in Alaska digging up gold. It makes me want to mine my backyard. 
thinking about doing that and making some money. So anyways, uh, some ideas for you. I think Frank and Mike are, uh, are a little like the Magi because they find treasure in incredibly surprising places. And I think that they do it for a few reasons. I think there's a few facts about them and the Magi maybe that we could learn from. The first, they find treasure in surprising places because they believe it exists. They believe that in people's nasty garages and barns and outbuildings and trailers are treasures of incredible value and worth. They actually believe that. We would drive by, many of us would drive by and think, well, that's just junk. That's just somebody's junky house and a junkyard. And they look at it and say, all right. They believe that there's treasure in the ordinary junk along the highway, in the ordinary, in, in the ordinary places that we pass by uh, every day. They're, they believe that there's treasure to be found out there. I think that's big because if you don't believe there's treasure to be found out there, you don't go looking for it. Maybe. Possibly. Possibly. But you should keep listening. Um... They believe that there's treasure out there. Second is they, they explore the ordinary, like I said. They look at things we all see all the time and think that maybe there's something more hidden in there. Maybe there's something more in there. Maybe there's more than meets the eye. And the third thing is that picking has become their way of life. They look for treasure so much that now they've developed a gut instinct on where treasure might be found. They developed a good gut for it. And they're able to identify. They get hunches. And they find incredible things. It's become a way of life for them. So to land this bird, I ask, what about you and I? What about you and I? this morning? What about you and I now? I think if you were to take the Bible cover to cover and, and boil it down, maybe one of the messages you would come to is simply this. The God of creation us. And there's this God is on a mission in the world to bring us back to himself. He's reaching out to all of us everywhere, constantly. And that he's reconciling the world to himself and to one another in the kingdom of Christ. Should we go looking for mangers? No. But is God, is God done? Is what he was doing finished when the last page of the Bible was closed? No. We're all here because God's not done. And God is at work in the world now. All around us. Constantly. In 2012, will we be more like Herod? Or more like the Magi? I mean, for those of us who are, you know been around Emmaus Road for years, or have been Christians for years. Will we let our familiarity with religion, with the Bible and going to church and with all that that means, will we allow the familiarity of all of this 
to become a motivation for us to stop actually looking for what God is up to around us, in us, through us. Well, we have the scriptures and the teachers and yet be the ones who don't see that only a few miles down the road in Bethlehem, the King of Kings has shown up. Speaking metaphorically for my literal listeners. Will, will we allow our familiarity with all of this to cause us to miss what God is doing? Or, or will we choose to believe the central theme of this, that God is lovingly, lovingly reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ? and experience the joy of discovering God at work all around us, in us. Where we find the joy of God at work on our jobs, in our families, in our communities, in our church. Where we find the joy of discovering that God is up to something. Will we allow this to become a window that helps us to see where God is at work in the world? Or will we allow all of this to become a wall that blinds us from what God is doing now? Will we become the kind of people that learn to pick our ordinary days? As we go through our ordinary routines along our ordinary ways, will we believe that God is up to something? even though we may not see what it is at the moment, will we suspect that maybe inside that ordinary-looking barn, garage, or job, or relationship, that maybe inside of there, God is up to something, and allow ourselves to investigate and explore the ordinariness of our days? Will we, will we become the kind of people that make looking that prayerfully practice all of this stuff so that we can become people who, for whom looking has become a way of life. So that, that's the point of all this. It's funny, Jesus, later on in his life, looks at a bunch of people who, were, who knew the Bible of their day, inside and out. And he looked at them, and I almost, maybe with a little bit of heartbreak in his voice, looked at them and said, you guys, you search the scriptures thoroughly because you think in them you have eternal life. But they point to me and you won't come. I wonder if sometimes the Jesus might look at some of us, maybe me, and say, Steve, you do church regularly and diligently. You study the scriptures. You learn Greek and Hebrew. and you, You're doing all the stuff. But all the stuff points to me. Would you come? Now all this may sound like crazy and wild, but I'm saying that God is on mission in the world all around us. And in 2012, I believe he is going to he wants to show us ways that we can join him in what he's doing. Ways that are going to be wonderful. Ways in which we will join him in bringing help and hope and healing to the world around us. The question is not whether he is up to something. The question is whether we will recognize it and join him.
And I would rather be like these weird magi than like Herod. And I think you would too.